Welcome to Tap the Craft, an informational podcast about craft beer targeting the everyday beer drinker. My name is Denny Luce, and joining me tonight is my co-host and drinking buddy, John Ream. How you doing tonight, John? Doing all right. I'm ready to drink some beer after uh, dealing with contractors today. Got to reside the house, so not, not a fun project to, to be undergoing right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Isn't it like getting close to wintertime and you're reciting during winter? Yeah, taking advantage of a winter discount, you know. Oh. <laughs> Filling in that lazy period of their schedule, so... <laughs> Well, you know what? That's a smart move. Uh, I can I can see you know money money talks right. You know, exactly. Get the discount. <laughs> All right. Well, hey, you're tuning in to a craft beer enthusiast podcast. John and I are craft enthusiasts, craft beer enthusiasts, and what that means is, hey, we love everything having to do with craft beer. We love to drink it, we love to learn about it, and we love to talk about it. And we're going to talk to you about this craft beer movement in easy to understand terms we call layman's terms so that you won't feel like a bunch of elitists are talking to you that you feel like hey everyday normal people are teaching you about this great craft beer hobby and uh, why are we doing this we're doing this because we want to help as many people as possible become craft beer enthusiasts too so we encourage all of our listeners to write into the show and provide your experiences and your knowledge and we invite you to ask questions. And again, this week we are really grateful to have a couple more listener-entered questions for us to talk about on the show. So this is episode seven, and we're recording this on October 27th, 2014. And in this episode, we're going to discuss, uh, like I mentioned, a couple of listener questions concerning when craft beer is no longer craft. We're also going to talk about the winter warmer style of beers. Now that it's getting into the colder months, you want to have something that kind of can warm up those bones. So we're going to talk about the winter warmer and winter ales. And we're also going to do our listener tasting notes on the Deschutes Brewing Jubilee Winter Warmer. So, hey, if you haven't gone out and picked up at least one Jubilee Winter Warmer, then I recommend you put your headphones on, get in the car, drive on down to the store and get it while you're listening to us. you got about 30 minutes before we start talking about it. Ready, go. <laughs> All right, you're, you're on the clock. All right, and hey, you know what? A craft beer show wouldn't be much of a show if we didn't drink some beer while we're talking about it. So, John, what you got going on today? So, I am uh, doing a throwback to uh, our last uh, tasting note show, doing a Sam Adams Oktoberfest. Okay. So, uh, I had a couple of these left, and it seemed like a... Nice, easy-to-drink beer that wouldn't uh, wreck my palate for Jubilee tasting. So. True, true. Yeah, <laughs> good good choice, good choice. Yeah, I've got two more Oktoberfests left, uh, the Sam Adams. Um, I was lucky enough, last weekend was family weekend. Not last weekend, actually, the weekend before last was family weekend at my daughter's college. And we went to see a, the college game, and we tailgated, and they had Sam Adams Oktoberfest right there on the uh, campus. And so we, my son and I partook in a few of those before the game, and that was very pleasant. So it's nice to see craft beer at the local college games. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm just, you know, because I want to make sure I, I get a full review for you guys on this Jubilee. I'm drinking Jubilee. So I'm going to be, you know, refining my palate so that I can actually talk some sense 
to you guys while John talks facts. I'll just talk nonsense. Hopefully <laughs> not too much nonsense. All right. Well, hey, you know what? We're going to get into our topic. Before we do that, you know, last episode and the episode before last, John had mentioned that he was participating in Extra Life, which is a fundraising program that uh, earns money for Children's Miracle Network, network of hospitals, and it, it involves playing video games for 24 hours. So, John, how was your experience with Extra Life 2014? Yeah, it was great. Uh, I did make it the full 24. Wow. Um, which, you know, I was fine until about 2 a.m. <laughs> and I started to flag a little bit. And about 3.30, I started doing like push-ups and sit-ups during loading screens. Oh, my gosh. Um, just to try to get some blood moving. And that that helped along with a couple Red Bulls. Um, but uh, had some fun playing with friends. My wife had to take the uh, the boy to to grandma and grandpa's because she couldn't stand me sitting around playing video games all day <laughs> you know even though it's for the children yes like, come on it's <laughs> yeah um but uh you know with help from family friends uh you know raise some money for really good cause help out some kids um that are truly having uh just a rough go of it so i'm looking forward to next year and uh Hope to participate as long as uh, I can still play games. So. All right. Hey, no, I I got to participate with you a little bit that morning before I went off to a wedding, yeah. and we had fun. And oh, by the way, the wedding, they actually had beer. They had good beer, all craft hey. beer. Oh, nice. Yeah, you were worried. You thought that it might be dry. Yeah, so. yeah. I was pleasantly surprised that I got to partake in some good payette beers. Uh, very, very nice. Uh, yeah. So, did um, just a couple questions on on your extra life? Did anyone come over to participate with you with some board games or anything, or were you strictly playing, you know, basically by yourself the whole day? So, in years past, I've hosted at least a period of the day, having people come over, um, play games. Then a couple of my friends would come over at like two or three in the morning uh, to play games. They were real troopers about that. Uh, this year, uh, with a baby on the way and a uh, 16-month-old, uh, we decided it'd just be a lot easier to to not do that during the event this year. So <laughs> uh, we did have a game night the weekend prior um, with some friends that came over and just to kind of do it in spirit, even though it wasn't during the event. Oh, um, but during the actual event, I was playing uh, by myself and. It's much better when there's people online to play with when you're doing it that way. Yeah. Uh, by yourself gets pretty, uh, pretty rough. So. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I don't think I could do it. For one thing, I fall asleep. Like if, I mean, I'm an early to bed kind of guy. So about 9:30, if I'm playing a video game, I'm gonna be like dozing off right with the controller in my hand. So it, I need to do something more interactive, like Twister. Or something, else. <laughs> something that keeps that keeps me engaged, not just sitting there with my, you know, laying back and, and dozing off. So, all right, well, excellent, John. Hey, I uh, applaud you for your for your hard work in uh, pumping out those 24 hours of solid gameplay and earning that money for those kids. That's a great job. Yeah, thanks. All right, okay, that's a little bit of our sidetracking for this episode. We're going to move right in to a couple listener questions. Now, we had two listener questions, 
And they each kind of correspond with one another. And I'm going to go ahead and read them. Again, our buddy Yojimbo2000 on Twitter went ahead and asked us this question on our uh, Tap the Craft Twitter account. He said, when does a craft brewery lose the craft and is just a major brewery? And the second question is from another Twitter follower called SpongeBobbies. He's also known right now as his name is Chew Your Beer. Kind of cool. He says, what is considered craft beer? Is Samuel Adams craft or mainstream? How about Stone Brewing, who is expanding across the U.S.? So I'm going to start with these are kind of these both these questions kind of go together hand in hand because for one thing you have to define what craft brewing is, what defines a craft brewer, and then the second part of the question says, hey, when does a craft brewer become a macro brewer or a mass distributor brewer? So. Uh, I don't have the you know the facts in my head, so I had to go to the place that does have the facts, and that's the Brewers Association. If anyone's going to know what defines a craft, what you know, different size of uh, breweries, it's going to be the Brewers Association, right, John? Well, they make the rules, so it's pretty easy for them to to define it that way. <laughs> okay, good, good. So um, they say they they define a, a craft brewer a brewer in three different manners. The first thing is. A craft brewer is a small brewery, and a small brewery is any brewery that produces, now here's the number, 6 million or less barrels of beer a year. So, I mean, there's the number. 6 million and less is considered a small brewery. They also define it in two other methods here. They say, hey, a craft brewer has to be 75% independent, meaning they're not, you know, they're, they're independently sponsored, not sponsored by, you know, some big corporation. And they also have to use at least 50% traditional ingredients in their beer. So they're not going to be using – you're not going to be a craft brewer and brewing stuff that's more like, you know, wine. That's more – you know, that wouldn't be, wouldn't be good if you're not brewing real beer. So a couple other numbers. Well, gee, 6 million. So anything under 6 million is a craft beer brewer. Well, they also have a, a, a couple other smaller definitions. A, ma- a microbrewery is defined as any brewery that produces 15,000 barrels or less a year. So there you can go. You have microbreweries, and you have, you know, as a subset of the whole craft brewing type uh, segment. And then one other type of brewery that's not really fully defined yet, and actually the Brewers Association doesn't really mention this. This is just stuff you kind of see on the outskirts that's kind of floating around. It's what they call a nanobrewery. And it's considered kind of like a large-scale homebrew-like system. It's not, you know, a full big brewery, but it's, it's like three barrels, four to, three to four barrels or less is considered a nanobrewery. So it's like a large home-scale brewery or large-scale home brewing. Yeah, and you're seeing a lot of these nanobreweries popping up now um, as a lot of home brewers kind of make the leap into making beer their their life now mm-hmm. um, because it's it's a way to get in without a, without a lot of money, um, but you definitely kick up the amount of work you need to do uh, yeah. to, to produce enough beer uh, to really make it because... Beer's a volume game. Uh, it takes not that much more time to, to brew 30 barrels as opposed to four, four mm-hmm. or one that a lot of these nanos are doing. Yeah. So your, your labor goes through the roof just to keep pace. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, when, one thing for the, the uh, craft brewery barrel 
limit. A few years ago, that limit was 2 million uh, barrels. And uh, it was changed to basically, it was redefined to, to keep Sam Adams mm-hmm. um, a cra- defined as a craft brewery. Um, and p- part of that is, you know, they, they've been an integral part of growing, you know, the, the craft brewery scene in, in the United States. They're, they're a entry point for a lot of people uh, to, to kind of make the leap over from, from those macro brews. Uh, but they they also with that large amount of barrelage that they produce, they're a large percentage of of craft beer, and so th- there's this big movement in in craft beer to to get to 10% market share. All craft breweries still don't have 10% of the mm-hmm. total beer market share in the United States. I mean that's kind of staggering when you see you know all these different ones on the shelf. Mm. They're really small fish, <laughs> a really big ocean. Yeah. Um, but you know, losing that chunk would have been a been a huge blow to kind of the craft brewery movement, you know. Um, and so that 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 limits change, and I don't know how fast they're approaching it. That that might have to change again, or if if it will or not. Um, but uh, yeah, it's something to keep your eye on over the, over the next you know ten twenty years. Mm-hmm. see how how that line kind of moves yeah yeah well I, that's a good little bit of information you provided there because yeah it's i mean you would think two million barrels as you get to more and more production it's you know my assumption is when you're producing mass producing beer in that quantity that some of the the tlc that you know brewers put into craft beer might be lost uh i know that like John was saying, Sam Adams is a is a good example of a brewery that yeah they're putting out their their Sam Adams Boston Lager as their you know as one of their main beers that that's getting produced, but they also put out a lot of specialty beers too. Some of them are you know some of them are in in those sampler packs that are you know they're okay, but then some of them are really in in. Um, uh, small batches that is just fantastic. I love their small batch stuff, and they do that uh, that homebrew competition too, where they're yeah, the long shot. Yeah, and I'll tell you what: to have the opportunity for a home brewer to get their recipe of homebrew brewed in a, in mass quantities and distributed across the United States is great. And you know what? Those beers are fantastic. I I love those long shot homebrew competition beers and that's all being you know it's all being done by sam adams who loves craft beer so they should be included in the craft beer uh, numbers because they're still innovating and that's what kind of kind of leads into our next definition they say is hey you know what to be a craft brewer you need to be innovative you need to take historic styles and make them you know make them your own but put a little twist to them and create Maybe new styles or a new twist on that style. You know, don't just accept the same old mainstream beer where you just produce one beer and that's all you do. You need to be innovative. So, again, Sam Adams kind of fits that. They're mass producing, but they're still being innovative in a lot of ways. And I, I mentioned that the 75% or no, 50% of their ingredients need to be traditional ingredients. Uh, so, you know, that's another thing they say craft breweries, you know, hey, you got to be traditional ingredients, which is what? Malted barley. Water, yeast, and hops, right? Those are the traditional 
ingredients in beer. You don't want to go in and, and you know start using a lot of rice or corn, corn or yeah. other things because that takes away from the traditional uh, brewing aspect. And you know, here's another thing that, that they define as as craft. You know, being a craft brewer, a lot of these craft brewers and and anyone that goes and visits craft breweries or has a craft brewery n- near their neighborhood will under will will say this is true. Is that hey, craft brewers they are far more involved with their community, the local community, through philanthropy, through product donations, through volunteerism, and and even through event sponsorships. I mean, Ten Barrel moved into Boise. Now, Ten Barrel wasn't from Boise. They're from Bend, Oregon. But they came into Boise, and my gosh, these guys are involved in every single little you know, community event and thing going on because they're all about community. And that's, you know, everywhere I go to visit breweries, the craft breweries that I visit, they're, it's, a, it's all the same thing. They're all about making a difference in the community, serving their beer to the community that loves them and just gaining that, that loyalty. Uh, so that, that's kind of cool. Uh, they also say that, Hey, you know what? Craft brewers tend to connect with their customers on a more individualistic approach, you know, one-on-one they, they, you know, they, they actually identify with their customers more than just, Hey, yeah, just buy my beer and, and suck it down, drink it cold, wait till the mountains turn blue and it's good. You know, they, they actually, they uh, care about, the customers and their uh, opinions, and they wanted to, you know, to appreciate the beers. And uh, I mean, that's another differentiator on the craft brew side. And uh, a couple other things, you know, craft brewers maintain brew integrity by not accepting investments by non-craft brewery entities. So again, they're not going to be purchased, you know, out by big corporate entities to, you know, to make their beer. This is, and this is a, this is a. a you know, there's some breweries that have sold out to the big breweries. You know, Goose Island is one. Um, yeah, they were bought outright by uh, Anheuser-Busch. Yeah. Um, yeah. Another group that you won't see, you know, you'll never see Red Hook, Widmer, or uh, Kona Brewing on a, like, largest craft brewers list, even though all of them would rank um, if you if you uh, were to actually look at their numbers because mm-hmm. they all sold a... They, they came together as a the, what's called the Craft Brewers Alliance and uh, then gave a 33% stake in their company to uh, Anheuser-Busch for a distributing agreement. Um, so, you know, that's that, that takes them, you know, past that 75% independent threshold. Yeah. So they're, they're no longer considered a, a craft brewery by the Brewers Association. Which is, which so. is, which is sad. To me, because I absolutely love Widmer Brother beers, and and I think they they're still innovating. They're still doing things that craft brewery does. They just wanted to be distributed, you know, have that opportunity to be uh, distributed, you know, with a bigger distributor. And now they're yeah, they they kind of miss out on that because of that investment. So yeah, and I think you know this kind of takes us to a. Uh, a lot of gray area now. Am I am I going to stop drinking Goose Island because they've been bought out? No, I'm not. They still make great beer. Yeah. Uh, there's just more of it available, which that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as as long as they keep brewing it to the same standard, 
that's fine. I yeah. I still drink Red Hook. I still drink Widmer. It it doesn't stop me. And <laughs> you know, I'm sure there are some people that are gonna take craft brewery elitism to a certain level mm-hmm. and kind of shun these breweries. But if they're making great beer, what does it matter? Yeah. I mean, honestly, if if Budweiser Miller Coors came out with a beer that I absolutely loved, I would co-purchase it hands down. Yeah. I mean, that's what I'm here for. Good taste in beer. So. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. When I first went to the craft beer thing, I was pretty much a craft beer snob. And uh, but now. I appreciate beer for for what it is and. I will, I, I won't go out and buy it myself. But if, if someone gives me a Coors Light, like my neighbor, after a hot day and I'm busy doing a lot of yard work, he sees me sweating out there and he says, "Hey, Denny, let me get you a beer." And he gives me gives me a, a Coors Light. You know what? I'm gonna drink that Coors Light. And you know what? That damn beer tastes pretty good when I'm sweating my ass off and I'm heated up. It, you know, it has a purpose. Am I gonna drink? 12 of them? No. But you know what? One here or there is not going to kill me. And hey, it's still a beer. And uh, yeah. So I'm, I'm not a, quite a, a snob as I used to be, I guess. I, I grew up. Hey, John. So let's answer SpongeBob's uh, question. Is Samuel Adams craft or mainstream? Craft. Craft. Why is that? Well, if you want to look at the technical definition, they fall under all the guidelines from the Brewers Association. (laughs) But, you know, I think a lot of people aren't aware of the the breadth of their offerings. Um, You mentioned that they they have a bunch of different styles that they that they do. Um, And I think they've been running commercials recently, uh, like asking people on the street, you know, how many beers they make. And they Mm, all say, like, you know. One <laughs> at most, like five or six, yeah. I think is like yeah. the highest guess. And they're like, oh, we make 40 something beers. Yeah. They start pulling them out. And um, I mean, they do some great stuff. And across almost any style that you want to try, they've got something for you. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you see some of their lesser known stuff, by all means, pick it up. Um, they have a, oh, what is the series called that's in those? Those strange uh, bottles? Yeah, that's... You, you'll see these bottles; they'll jump out at you because <laughs> they they don't look like anything else on the shelf. Um, they're almost shaped like a a cone before it comes up into the neck. Um, but uh, there are all kinds of like uh, Belgian style beers. Um, yeah, they're really. I mean, good. they. Yeah, and they're great. So yeah, I consider them craft in every any way you could twist the question. Yeah, uh, personally. So, yeah, I, I've had all those and I have, in, in fact, I've had them like three or four times because they're really good beers. And again, they're seasonal beers that come out at certain times and they're barrel. I think all of them are barrel aged beers too. So I they think do, you're right. Yeah. They do a portion of it in the barrel and man, fantastic. I mean, th- that is truly craft beer right there at its, at its core source because it's just, I mean, you can't say that you've tasted anything like that from, you know, from a Budweiser or from, you know, from a lot of the, even, even a lot of the, the smaller breweries, you know, don't go to that extent to have that complex of a, of a beer. So. Yeah. And if you want to even 
take a look at the non-beer side, I think two or three years ago, they started a, a sort of mentorship program uh, and a loan program uh, that you can apply for and they take a, a handful each year uh, that they will make you know, a loan to your, your brewery or I think they even do other like craft beverages, like craft sodas and things like that, uh, that they'll, you know, help you along with, you know, making that next step in your business and, and giving you guidance and, you know, knowledge from everything that they've learned over the years. Uh, so, you know, they're giving back to the craft brewery community at large as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, that's good. And just for the numbers, in 2013, they produced 3.4 million barrels that year. So that's a lot, lot of beer. And if you have a chance, I, I was, I went through to their website. Now, now Sammy Adams is a corporation, so they have stockholders that they have to answer to. But uh, so they put out an annual report every single year, and wow, that is the most informative and inter and enjoyable. Uh, annual report that I've read from a corporation. I mean, it just it's just it's just a nice nicely done. I mean, they really they, they they really put their just like they do with their beer. They put effort into this report to make it unique to their company, and you get a feel for what their company is all about. So I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of cool. So then he also you know SpongeBob is also asked, hey, is Stone Brewing, who's expanding across the U.S., are they considered you know, when do they become mainstream? And you know what? Yes, even after they expand to the East Coast, which is still a couple years away, <laughs> they will still be way under the 6 million barrel production. And they are still, to this, I mean, right now, there's like, I mean, they've released like six beers this month that are all unique, very innovative beers. So they're still innovators and they still use traditional ingredients. They, again, they follow all the criteria for a craft brewery, and uh, let's see. They in 2013 they only produced 213,000 barrels. Uh, so I mean they're way way below the six million barrel limit. And I think this new site that's going to open at the end of 2015, early 2016, is potentially going to double their production. It's, it's almost going to. I think the plan is it's going to basically mask the same production they're doing in Orange County, California, uh, to this uh, Virginia brewery. So that's basically they're going to go, you know, within a year after they open it. I'm guessing they're, they'll have it up to 400,000 barrels, so a half, almost half a million. So that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I mean, and you know, I think a lot of people will be shocked to see that number—only 213,000 yeah. barrels—because you see them everywhere. Yeah, everywhere. And when you consider, you know, the the definition of, of craft brewing, I mean, they're dropping the bucket mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> for for that. I mean, yeah. they're you what fifteen times if you multiply their production like fifteen times, you'd get close to Sam Adams. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's it's crazy, and and that I mean, think of how how they're everywhere, and then think of your local brewery and just like how big they must be. Mm. I mean, they're in maybe your, your local market, maybe just in your state. And I mean, in terms of barrelage, it's, it's really not that much. And that gives you an idea of why they wanted to 
to move that yard mark uh, from two million to six million mm-hmm. to keep Sam Adams' numbers in the game. Yeah. Um, because these, even though there are you know twenty five hundred, three thousand breweries now that are craft breweries, they're all real small. Mm-hmm. And you know that that's what makes a lot of. I mean, what makes craft brewing great. I mean, mm-hmm. it's all these guys that are intimately aware of their product. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So just a couple more that are that you that most people have probably seen, drank, or heard of. Uh, New Belgium, right? New Belgium just opened a. They expanded, I think, just into North Carolina. Also, if I'm not mistaken, I can't remember, but they produce just under 800,000 barrels in 2013. So again, almost a million from New Belgium, and Sierra Nevada. They, they're, they're hard to get numbers for, but I believe they were close to 1 million barrels in 2013. And in 2000, just like two months ago, in, in August, I think, they opened another brewery in uh, Mill River, North Carolina. And so I'm not sure how big that site is, but I'm sure that that's going to add probably at least a you know a couple hundred more bar- uh, thousand barrels a year to their production. So again, two two other breweries that started small and have grown quite quite large quite fast and still make both those breweries still make very innovative and good unique beers along with their flagships right everyone knows fat tire for new belgium that's probably the the the, the top selling one that they you know that that they sell their flagship i'm guessing and and of course the pale ale sierra nevada pale ale is a staple of pale ale it's one of the best pale ales out there uh, you know, hoppy pale ales, and I mean, the, those are the flagships that probably sell the most, but they still innovate with all kinds of special, unique styles. So, uh, I can recommend both those. Yeah, and but you know, you mentioned both those breweries expanding in North Carolina. They both expanded uh, in and around Asheville, mm-hmm. uh, which has just exploded as a craft beer town. Um, so, if you're anywhere close and and want to have a a beer vacation that yeah. would be a, a great location i'm <laughs> hoping to do that myself someday soon yeah so. yeah i'm hoping if i have to go to virginia again for uh over a weekend that maybe on the weekend i'll drive down to Asheville and stay there and 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 tour you know do a tour run of the breweries there and then come back for the work next week that's my go. that's my my goal <laughs> all right so hey I hope that that answers your questions, and you know what? It's way better to answer these questions on our show than through Twitter because I cannot do it in 140 characters or less. That would have been a lot of tweets. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hey, let's move right into the Brew Buzz segment, and this week we're going to talk about winter warmers. And just to let everyone know that's new listening, that the Brew Buzz segment is devoted to discussing all kinds of various beer-related topics, so... And again, this week, we're going to talk about the Winter Warmer, also known as Winter Ales, seasonal uh, beer style. So when I was on a, I'm going to start this off because I've got a little backstory here about when I talked about this on my last podcast for the 40cast. So when I was on the 40cast, uh, my co-host Keith, he asked, hey, why is a winter beer, why would it be a warmer and not a chiller style beer? Because you know what? Winter is cold. And crisp. And I told him, hey, 
beer styles for winter and summer seasons, they actually kind of have a reverse style preference because when you're in the winter, you want a beer that's going to warm you up because you're kind of cold. So you're going to want a beer that has a stronger alcohol content with more of a bold, robust flavor, and it's heavier, so it fills you up and makes you feel you know, warm and, and full. And in the summertime, you want one that kind of cools you down or makes you more refreshed, right? You don't want to be weighted down by all that extra, you know, extra malt and, and stuff. So you want something easy to drink, crisp, refreshing, and lighter. So that's kind of why, you know, we call it a winter warmer because basically, you know, in the cooler uh, weather, you want a beer that's going to warm your bones, going to fill that void in your stomach. You know, you, you don't, nothing's worse than being cold and, you know, have a stomach growling and all bubbling around. And, um, I mentioned that winter warmers typically have a higher alcohol by volume rating than the average beer. And a lot of times they'll give a little bit of extra alcohol burn that kind of warms up your throat as you, as you drink it. Um, and it's kind of similar to, I kind of, you know, kind of, you know, make it seem compare it to a good quality bourbon or cognac. You know, you drink that, you kind of, you kind of sip it. In. And again, these are sipping beers, not gulping beers, right? You're not going to put this thing up, you know, upturn it to 180 and just down it in, you know, like chugging it. No, you're going to sip this thing. So you want it to be like a cognac or a brand, you know, a bourbon that you just kind of nurse it along. That's exactly what I was just going to add. I, yeah, I, when I think of my winter warmers, they're sipping beers, something that I can envision just enjoying by the fire. Yeah. That's kind of my, my criteria. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And one thing too is, is, you know what? Winter warmer slash winter ales, this is a style that is not strictly defined as a certain way, right? You're going to get all kinds of different types of winter ales and winter warmer styles. You'll get anything from a beer that's, uh, that's you know, lighter in color to a beer that's pitch black. You can get a beer that's got a lot of heavy malt flavor and, and kind of low hops to one that's got you know, heavy malt flavor with a, with a nice hop finish. And you can get things that have spices added to it and things that are, that don't have spices, right? So there's a, there's a, a wide variety of winter style beer. So not, just because you see it say winter ale or whatever, don't expect it to be the same winter ale that you drank from another brewery because each brewery is going to define their winter beer a little bit differently. But just in general, it's going to have a little bit more malt, it's going to have a little bit more alcohol, and it's going to be a little bit heavier than than a typical average uh, beer you're going to be drinking. So uh, in my experience, most winter warmer brews are about 6% and greater. Uh, if it's lower than 6%, you know what? You're, you're, you're not getting that extra alcohol that's going to give you that nice warm feeling going down. Uh, the best ones, I think, are between 7 to 9%. Uh, the, the brews are a little heavier and bolder flavored, not necessarily in fruity or spicy flavors, but in hops and malt flavors. Uh, so they tend to fill you up more. And the coloring, like I mentioned before, can range anywhere from a light reddish amber to a pitch black in, in color. Yeah, and, you know, these these beers, will, unlike pumpkin, where, you know, there's this one umbrella that's kind of holding all these beers together, even though they expand across lots of different styles with pumpkins and spices added to it. Um, these can kind of just be anything, you know, there, there's really nothing that defines it other than it comes out in the winter. Mm -hmm. And, 
you know, maybe a bigger version of something. Um, but, you know, while you won't necessarily have spices, a lot of places will do spice beers there. You'll even see uh, spruce beers or things oh, actually yeah. made with, with spruce, uh, spruce or mm-hmm. juniper or that kind of thing uh, this time of year. Um, so, uh, you know, there, it's, there's, it can be all across the board. So, you know, if there's another one of those things similar to pumpkin, don't give up after one or two because <laughs> there are, there are so many different things out there that, uh, you're destined to find something that you enjoy. Yeah. Um, you know, that it's just all over the board. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I couldn't have said it better, John. I have friends at work that, you know, they, they, They'll take, uh, you know, Celebration L, for example, as they'll love it. Well, kind of Celebration L is more of like an IPA, so of course they're going to love it. But they take, um, like what we're drinking tonight, uh, Jubilee from Deschutes, and they're like, oh, I can't stand Jubilee. Why? Because those two Winter Warmer or Winter Ales are complete polar opposites as far as the flavor profile, where, you know, maybe someone enjoys the IPA style more so the celebration is closer to the ipa but they don't really enjoy the darker fruit flavors and the the malty and the bitterness that comes from the the jubilee so like john said don't give up on your first one all i can anything with craft beer is always try 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 just keep trying different things because you're going to find things that you're going to enjoy more than others and just stick stick to those all right, so hey, we where would we be if we didn't give us give you guys some advice on some of our favorite winter warmer beers? And and I have a lot of them because I I think winter warmers is like my favorite one of my favorite styles because like I said, it's a variety of of things I enjoy flavor wise and it's it's got a good kick, so it makes you feel nice. And my favorite one I think has got to be Whitmer Brothers Burr. Uh, I drink more of this beer than any other beer, uh, I think, all year round. It's just I, – I mean my wife, when she knows that the that they're running out of the beer, she'll go buy me like three cases. I mean like 24-pack cases, like three of them, and I'll be – they'll be stacked in my garage for all winter long. I'll be like <laughs> – I'll be drinking my last one usually, you know, come around May. I'll be drinking my last uh, beer. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's my go-to winter warmers and maybe I'll, you know, I'll go ahead and, uh, uh do a mini review on that later on in, in the year because it, like I said, it's my favorite. So why not? Uh, and they do, a, they do a, another iteration of that called the winter or the Whitmer brothers bourbon, which is basically the burr, but it's aged in bourbon barrels. And there's a, each year they do it. The beer is a little bit different. They don't all taste the same and it's a great, seasonal beer that comes out that's different every single year that bourbon one uh so i recommend go ahead and try that i know that costco recently i don't know if they still have them but they had a series of these bourbon barrel you know bourbon barrel uh beers so john what uh, you got any suggestions yeah so obviously there's jubilee which we'll talk about more in depth later uh when we do our tasting uh another is a full sale wassail, mm-hmm. um, which is a great uh, kind of spiced beer um, that's pretty pretty well available this time of year. And I know one of both of our favorites, uh, Lagunitas Brown Sugar. Oh yeah! Oh my um, gosh, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's just a great beer. 
and a happy accident of that they they have another winter warmer now um the Lagunitas sucks holiday ale uh which spawned after uh they they had a shipping problem with some new equipment that meant they couldn't brew the brown sugar they mm-hmm. couldn't work it into the schedule because it it's a, a longer beer to process and uh so they had to brew up something to to replace it so they you know in pure Lagunitas style, they completely made fun of themselves. <laughs> uh, call it Lagunitas sucks, and the beer was such a hit that they now have to produce both of these beers. Uh, otherwise, they'll have some very very <laughs> upset fans. Yeah. So uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Either of these, pick them up from Lagunitas. Yeah, yeah. What's funny too is that brown sugar. The reason why is it only came out back when they first had this problem. They only it, they only brewed it every other year because it was such a uh, you, know, you know, a beer that took so much t- time in their fermenters that they couldn't do it every year. So, e- so every other year they produce it, and the every other year that they didn't produce it, right? We didn't have it the year before. They didn't produce it that year. That's the year that John was talking about. And the what happened is so many people were pissed off. They wrote letters to Lagunitas saying, "I can't believe you're not producing my favorite beer," and that's why. They came up with the. They were already producing a beer to replace it, and that was the Lagunilla sucks. And that's why they they hadn't named it yet. And when they had all that hate mail, that's when they decided to play, you know, fun of themselves and say, "Yeah, Lagunilla sucks because we didn't make our brown sugar." And they called it the Lagunilla sucks holiday. Uh, is a brown sugar substitute. Uh, was what they the 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 sub line of it. So I, I remember it like it was just yesterday because that was. It was a it was a fun time to, to to get a new beer that soon became another bestseller of theirs. That people like like John said, they cannot they don't want to live without either of those beers. All right, so um, the next one, couple we'll go real quick. Um, Sierra Nevada, I mentioned that they also have a winter warmer. It's called Celebration Now, and this is a heavier uh, IPA. Basically, it's kind of a ba- IPA style. But man, it's fantastic, and um, I have you know six pack of that in my fridge right now. That I mean, in fact, I have Burr, Celebration Ale, uh, Wassail, and uh, Jubilee. All four of those I'm drinking right now in my fridge because again, I'm a sucker for winter ales. Or so yeah, uh, th- this is one that always hits my fridge every year. Yeah, uh, being a great just IPA even. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just a. Uh, uh, something I love to pick up. Oh so. yeah, yeah, it's fantastic, and um, yeah, it's it's good. And the next one is one out of Montana. It's called it's from Big Sky Brewing. They make some great beer. In fact, uh, I think most people that probably know Big Sky from Moose Drool. Moose Drool's a brown. Great uh, name. Yeah, yeah, it's <laughs> a great name. That that's probably their most famous beer they make. But but Big Sky makes great beer. I love Big Sky Brewing and Powderhound, another fantastic winter warmer. Just really good. The only problem is it's only available like two weeks out of the year. So as soon as you see it on the shelf, you got to grab it because it'll be gone really quick. Because they don't again, they don't produce. They're not a, a, a huge producer, and so and they distribute to quite a few states. So they only get every state only gets a certain number of of these shipments and so if you don't get there quick to get it you'll be missing out and uh, i hope i didn't miss out this year because sarah said they had the they were all out of it at the store my wife said i I said sarah but my wife that's sarah uh 
you know, she went to get powder hounds specifically for me this last weekend and they were already out of it at the local store. And I'm like, Oh no, it can't be out of it. So yeah. And then I'll tack on a couple, uh, that are called Christmas ales. Uh, so Sierra Nevada Christmas ale is, uh, actually they, a beer that they change the recipe every year. Uh, so it's a, a different beer every year. And there are a lot of people that collect these and have just whole, vintages mm. of uh sierra nevada uh, just because every year it's different so they'll do big vertical tastings of all the different years uh but uh, that's one that i i like to try to at least find one bottle of and then uh, another one is uh, goose island christmas ale this was one that i got quite a bit when i was still back in the midwest so uh, folks in that area should be able to get their hands on that one but um and then you know i just want to add you know some other great winter beers even though i i don't think i'd call them winter warmers because these definitely have <laughs> divine defined like styles but uh like barley wines or you know russian imperial stouts so some mm-hmm. of these yeah. really big really flavorful beers and uh just a couple of barley wines to look out for that should be uh pretty well distributed uh Sierra Nevada Bigfoot um that's kind of the atypical american barley wine um and then stone old guardian uh is another oh, yeah, that's great. good one to, to to try out if you can get your hands on it but those are you know more sipping beers that you just uh enjoy it over mm-hmm. the over the, the long winter night so yeah what's nice about both those barley wines is those are ones you can age but you don't have to you can drink those right away because they're already somewhat aged when you get them. I, I've never had a problem with either of those two beers, drinking them pretty fresh. Good, good, good suggestion there, John. Well, that will do it for our Brew Buzz segment on Winter Ales. If you have any other questions or if we confuse you on something, please write in to us at our email, which I'll give you at the end of the show, or our Twitter account. And, of course, we'll answer those questions on our next episode. All right, it's the time you guys have been waiting for. It's our listener tasting notes segment, and we're doing... So, oh, Yeah, hopefully you're back from the store. Yes, <laughs> yes, please, please. Uh, it's, time to, it's time to drink now. You're done listening. Let's, let's drink and, and listen. So uh, John and I are both going to drink the... You're going to drink this too on the show, right, John? You're going to open yes, one? Yes, okay. I just poured it into my glass okay. very skillfully, I might add, with our... All right, so, our last show. <laughs> so I'm gonna pop mine open here. Oh yeah, with that Gropener. Yeah, love my Gropener. And I'm gonna pour this over my keyboard into my cup at a 45 degree angle, five inches above. Oh my gosh, it's gonna overflow with the head. One <laughs> one thing I will tell you is there is no doubt you're gonna get an awesome head with this beer every time. But you agree, John? That this thing yes. has good, great head. Yes. It doesn't give good head. It just has great head. All right. So, John, you know what? I've I've uh, ri- written my notes down here, but why don't you start off with your tasting notes? Because I always start off. So, okay, I'll uh, I'll start off. Um, so, Jubal Ale, as we've discussed, it's a winter ale. Six point seven percent alcohol, uh, sixty ABVs, and. Uh, I think I've got 12 ounce bottle. I don't know how. Yeah, me you've too. Got yours. Yeah, 12. Um, and I'm just drinking a shaker glass tonight, shaker pint. Um, I it's got a 
deep copper color, uh, off-white head, really fine bubbles uh, that lingering pretty mm. well lingered in my previous oh. one that I took notes on at least. <laughs> um, Wait a minute, you took notes this time? I did. I'm. Oh. I actually prepared. Oh, good. Good. I was feeling. I was feeling bad because I'm like, gee, I'm the guy that's taking notes, and John can just right off the top of his head just whip this stuff out. So now I feel. I feel not so inadequate. Oh, there you go. So, uh, at least the last time I had it right off the bat, I was getting a, a bit of a pine hop character in the nose. Mm-hmm. Um, but that went away pretty quickly and. After talking here, I, I'm not even getting it in this new glass. So that may have been something fleeting or, or something. But I get uh, kind of a, a caramel sweetness type type character, almost like a molasses, like a, a dark sugar type, yeah. type thing. Um, and a little bit of spice, which might actually be uh, from the hops. I think they use, uh, it's called a noble hop, which will give a kind of a spicy character. Okay. Um, and, uh, as it warms up, uh, I think, uh, last time at least I got a, a bit of a boozy aroma out of it. Um, some of that alcohol started to come through. So uh, I don't know if you have experienced that or not, or if you even let it get that warm. <laughs> I know you can knock these back pretty quickly. I, I can. Yeah. Um, this is one of the beers that it doesn't take me long to suck it down. In fact, this is this is one of those beers that it's a I mean as you John mentioned six point seven percent and I'm not kidding you I can easily drink these in ten minute increments I mean that's I just love these things so but yeah I have let it warm up a little bit and you're right there is a slight hint of a, I mean, a little booziness but it's not over it's not overpowering at all it's very very mild. Um, let me just jump in with the the first thing. I, I agree with you completely. I'm also drinking this out of a. It's not a shaker pint. It's a it's a pub pint kind of glass. It's it's got a nice little uh, narrow tapered bottom and it kind of flares out the top. You know, like a standard pub glass. Uh, it's it's actually my Deschutes Brewing Brewery uh, pub glass that I got when I visited the brewery. Way to bring it full circle. Yes. Yes. <laughs> And uh, yeah, it's a rich copper coloring, beautiful coloring. I, I love the coloring. It's a. I mean. I mean, this is what I, I mean. I enjoy a beer that has a nice copper copper coloring, and a, a, you're right, man. The the head is really thick, creamy, and I I call it like a. I mean, you said it off white. I'm saying it's like a coffee froth, right? It's it's got that coffee froth coloring to the head with a with really tight, small bubble thing. It makes it really creamy, and man, the head retention is is insane. I mean, this head will stay up there for quite a while, and the lacing. I'm not. I, I almost took a picture of it so I could put it on the website. I it will stay all the way to the last sip. The lacing goes all the way down the glass. Man, that is some serious, you know, proteins that you know and stuff that are that are in that beer that are sticking to that glass. Just incredible. The the look of this beer as you're drinking it is superb. I, I think I give it a, a five. On just looks, just 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 on a look. <laughs> if I were to grade it on looks, I give it a five because it's it's an amazing looking beer. And you know we've we've talked about that. Did you know a, a visually appealing pint can really set the table? Yeah, you know, for your expectations. So 
Yeah, it, it makes me want Christmas to come sooner, right? It's like a it's like the perfect thing to sit and, like you said, in front of a fire, sipping on. Now you said sipping. This is one of the ones I don't sip, right? I kind of gulp, but <laughs> I could sip it. But I just love this beer so much that I just I, I suck it down. And let me just you talked about the nose. Let me I um I didn't get piney. I I, I can see where you can get the pininess because I I can get it other places, but I didn't really get it in, in the nose. I didn't get it in the this is my third one tonight, and I, I I don't I don't know maybe there is some slight pininess to it, um, but you know what I get mostly, and maybe I don't know I mean you could say you said molasses I think molasses is closer to what I'm smelling than what I maybe I'm I put down I said I get a, a lot of dark fruit and I'm in dark fruit what I mean is I I kind of narrow it down to like raisins or prunes. Um, which could also, again, it could be like the molasses. It depends on you know how you're characterizing it. Those you know those dark fruits can also come at, across in molasses because molasses has a lot of that dark fruitiness to it also. Um, and I and like you said, I also can smell that that faint spiciness that I guessed also was coming from some of the hops. Is what I, I, I what I took that from. So. All right, John. Yeah, and and even though it sounds like we might be all over the road uh, <laughs> with this beer, I mean there there really is quite a bit going on, and you know you could have completely different experience, uh, you know, bottle to bottle, just based on how how your day's been. So uh, definitely one to pick up a six pack and, and keep trying it out. For sure, for sure. All right, what about um, the front end? So yeah, in the, in the the flavor, that's when I start picking up a lot of that dark fruit. Um, you know, now that you're talking about it, I'm getting a little more in the aroma, but, uh, you know, power of suggestion and all that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I get a lot of that dark fruit, um, s- some more, uh, kind of caramelness, but I think it's more like a toffee, uh, type, uh, yeah. thing in the, in the flavor and, and just a little bit of uh, roast or toast, mm-hmm. um, coming through, but it's, it's really faint, um. And in that maltiness uh, back there, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I think that's it's a bulk of what I'm picking up here. Yeah, I'm very close to you. Uh, great malty front, uh, the toasty, like you mentioned. I now that you you mentioned the the toffee, I'll agree with the toffee too. Maybe I mean it's something that's hard for me to characterize, but as I'm drinking it right now, I can feel that uh, that co- that toffiness. Yeah, and that's one of those things that can be tough because it, it, sweetness can take a lot of forms, um, mm. and really nailing down where it comes from. And even alcohol can can actually come across as a sweet character, uh, yeah. which probably is surprising to a lot of people. But uh, you know that that's one of the, those tough things to to really nail down is is really that or where that's coming from and and the exactly what it's being portrayed as, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but what I'm really enjoying too is is some of that darker roasted malt coming out too. And oh, I guess that's my finish. Kind of has a. I didn't mean to get into the finish. We haven't got that far, but yeah. So basically, my front the same thing. I'm flavor, you know, uh, tasting again. I mentioned raisin flavor because as I'm drinking it, that's that you know raisin. I mean, and people when they think of raisins, they think oh yuck, it's an oatmeal cookies. You know, it's kind of yucky. I don't want like you know, no one likes raisins in their oatmeal cookies except me. I like raisins, but it's not a gross flavor of raisins. It's just that, like John said, it's that sweetness that's in there. It's not really sweet, but it comes out in that dark fruit, which happens to be like a raisin, which is very yeah. very pleasant. 
with everything yeah, I had, mixed in. Yeah, I had a uh, plum written down. That was kind of my yeah plum yeah dark plum. fruit that was popping in my head. Yeah, uh, when I was going through it. So. Yeah, plum plums and prunes. You know that that's kind of I, I was thinking more yeah plums. I take of uh, when I think of plums, I think of fresh and I think of more juicy. And this and prunes, I think of more dried and more uh, condensed. Right, that that really condensed dry fruit flavor. That's why I was coming up with the 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 prunes and the raisins type thing. But yeah, we're I think we're pretty much aligned. This is good. <laughs> I, I'm feeling like I'm getting better at this as as we do it. So that's I, I think you're a lot better than you give yourself credit <laughs> for from the start. But uh, so. When we get kind of into description of the body, um, you're going to have it as a, a medium full body, uh, medium carbonation level, uh, and, uh, you know, I get, again, I uh, I do get a little bit of that alcohol heat uh, as, as it warms up, um, and um, it, it does, uh, we've talked about uh, a beers leaving a film in your mouth mm-hmm. uh, i think this is one of those beers um not in an unpleasant yeah. way uh yeah. but it just kind of coats coats your mouth and leaves a little of that fullness i think uh mm-hmm. behind so perfect i i couldn't say it better that's exactly what i said medium body with a very pleasant mouthfeel leaves a bit of a filminess in in my mouth man we're right on tap <laughs> um so the the finish uh, I think is actually where you kind of get the hops in this mm-hmm. beer. Uh, the, you get a little bit of uh, piney, spicy type thing um, that kind of works to to wipe away uh, the that sweetness that we were talking about mm-hmm. before. Some of that fruit and the the that toffee kind of character. So it it kind of leaves your mouth balanced once you you kind of finish, finish mm-hmm. your, your sip. Yeah, I agree. I also got uh, the piney bitter finish, and I said, in my words, I said it works perfectly with the dark fruit and the multi flavors. <laughs> I mean, perfectly. It's like it's it's a perfect balance of the of that sweetness. That's not really sweet, but the sense of sweetness with the hops. It leaves a little bit of a bitter finish, but not something that lingers on forever. It's I mean, it's very well balanced. So good. What about newbies? You think a new person would enjoy this beer? Uh, that's tough. Yeah. Um, I think this is a really cool beer to try just because there's a lot going on that, but it's not so aggressive that mm-hmm. it would really sour someone. But, you know, at the same time, uh, it has some, you know, if somebody lets it warm, that alcohol could maybe, you know, be something that would turn somebody away. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I try it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, yeah, I, yeah. I think this is worth experiencing. And, and even if, you know, if you don't pick up what we're talking about, I mean, it gives you an idea of, uh, you know, what, what could be there. And as you come back to it next year. You know, mm-hmm. maybe you'll start picking that stuff up. So yeah, I, yeah. I think everything's worth trying. Yeah. So no, no, I <laughs> I agree. I think in in small quantities, yeah, it's worth trying. If as I always will say, if you have a friend who has a beer that you're not sure of, get a small taster, two ounces or whatever. 
two to four ounces, right? Get a little taster of whatever he has or she has and just give it a try and see if it's anything that might interest you. You may find that you really enjoy it. So I also agree, try everything. But my solid recommendation for uh, new people to craft beer is I say, hey, you know what? I don't think you should try, you should, you know, go all out and, and buy a six pack if you're new to craft beer. I think this beer has some very strong flavors. Not that they're bad flavors, but it is very strong in flavors. And those flavors might be a little too much for your palate to, to grab onto right at first. Let, let your palate mature. Go, get a, go find a friend who has it and try it and just see if you like it. And then next year, maybe you will be more apt to, you know, to go ahead and get a full six-pack. But, um, but no, it, you know, it's a great beer. I mean, but for new people, it might, it might be a little scary. Yeah, yeah, I definitely wouldn't call it an entry point. Um, but at the same time, you know, we mentioned, or I mentioned, barley wines and and uh, <laughs> yeah. you know imperial stouts. That's not something yeah. I would I would recommend. Those can be very aggressive and and in terms of their flavors. And but I I think this is this really plays well with its balance. And yeah. I I think that it, it could be enjoyed. So um, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I agree. So. Um, glassware, any recommendations on your, your side of what would be a good glassware to use for this beer? Uh, yeah, it's, it's to do not what I did. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I would say, um, you know, you could do a tulip, um, or, uh, you know, any, anything that has a slight taper to the nose, mm-hmm. um, I don't know that a snifter is necessary oh, uh, yeah. going that route, uh, but um, yeah, any, anything that's got that that slight taper to you um, yep. would be good. I agree. I said, uh, in, you know, my recommendation is tulip glass. Tul- tulip glass is perfect. I think this pub glass I'm using is also very good. I don't think you're going to lose anything because it does taper taper in on itself. So you do, you're able to to one thing hold that head in and also uh, you know kind of corral those those aromas up to your nose. So what, how about temperature? You know, we haven't really talked about beer temperature to, to drink on these. And I think we should probably add that. And, it, and again, I don't want to get into exact numbers, <laughs> but what do you think? You, you think this, this one, obviously we shouldn't drink it ice cold because that's going to, for one thing, numb our palate and not let us enjoy all those flavors. Um, but what, what do you think uh, temperature wise we should drink this beer at? Um, I think this is one that you could let warm a little more than normal. Yeah. Um, although I, I do pick up the alcohol, uh, stronger as it warms. And I, I wonder just how aggressive that could get, uh, if you let it go too far. Um, but yeah, I'd say that you would have no problem letting this one go a little more than normal. Uh, okay. maybe pull it out of the fridge for a few minutes before you even put it in your glass. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I keep my beer fridge at like, I think it's like 55, I think is where I have it set. So it's not super cold, it's, and I think that's a good temperature for most beers. Um, and In I, your case, don't let it sit out a few minutes before yeah, you pour it. <laughs> yeah. but, um, but this one for sure, because the head is so damn big that you're almost going to have to let it sit. Once you pour it in the glass, it's going to sit for at least a few minutes and warm up a little bit because the head's not going to die down real it, I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. It's a, it's like a three finger head and it lasts for like three minutes. I mean, it's a good head on there. 
All right, yeah, I'll agree. Just, uh, yeah, slightly warm. Not hot, not room temperature, not ice cold, just in between. So, hey, I'm going to say, you already know my rating on this. This is a highly recommended beer, and I recommend everyone who enjoys craft beer add this to the wish list. What about you, John? What What does this beer rank for you? I agree. It's it's one of those that finds its way into my fridge at least once a year when it comes out. So <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, it finds my way in the fridge a lot more than once. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, that was a fantastic beer tasting notes, and I hope that all our listeners were able to grasp some of uh, our experience and tastings and were able to match it to what you're tasting and at least get an idea of some of those flavors that you're, you're tasting while you're drinking along with us. Yeah, and even if you didn't match, hopefully you discovered something. And that's, that's true. And now I know why you want me to go first, so you can just agree and say yes. <laughs> well, I did, I, you know, John, I didn't want to show you up. Um, so oh, that's, okay. that's why, you know, I, if I just agree along with you, then, you know, then, then you feel thank, good. Thank you so much for keeping <laughs> my self-esteem in mind as we, as we do the show. <laughs> All right. So, uh, th- we're going to do these beer tasting notes every other episode. So, um, don't worry about next episode. We'll let you get your wallet a little break. And then following that one, we'll go ahead and you know, next episode, we'll we'll tell you. You want to tell them now or you want to tell them next episode? Yeah, why not? If you see it, you can pick it up. Okay. Have it ready. For, the, for episode nine, I guess every odd episode we'll do, we'll do listener beer tasting notes. We're going to do a stout, a Russian Imperial stout. So what John just told us, any newbie out there, you probably don't want to drink a Russian Imperial stout. But we're going to do one of my favorite Russian Imperial stouts from North Coast Brewing called... Old Rasputin. It's a 10% beast of a beer, and it's one that uh, I guarantee that anyone who appreciates a good stout will not be disappointed. So uh, stay tuned for episode 9, and if you see it out in your store, go ahead and pick up a four-pack. It comes in four-pack or a single bottle. Uh, a lot of uh, you know beer places will sell it in single bottles, so you can get a single bottle for about you know, three bucks, two dollars, two fifty, three bucks. Uh, if you buy a four pack, it's usually about ten dollars for a four pack in in my area. It may be more expensive in, in more metro metropolitan areas, but so that'll be the episode nine. All right, John. Hey, we had a great show. Uh, is there anyone you want to lift your glass to this week? Uh, well, I do want to thank uh, everybody who supported me for Extra Life um, and. A big shout out to everybody else who participated, and uh, you know it's a great cause. And uh, something else I, I want to mention: um, by the time this airs, you'll have very little time to act. I should have uh, mentioned this last episode, but I forgot. Uh, November first is Teach a Friend a Homebrew Day. Um, so all over the country, uh, clubs and homebrewers are going to be opening their doors to bring in friends and community members to, to teach the, about this awesome hobby, uh, making beer at home. So, um, if, if you're interested, uh, you can, uh, go to the homebrewers association website and they've got a, um, thing you can search for a site in your area. Uh, that's going to be doing uh, some brewing. And uh, you, you never know, you might 
get to taste some great homebrew and might even get to take home um, some of the beer that that's made that data to ferment or try or or maybe they'll reach out to you and get it to you once it's done. All right. Um, but uh, I'll be having a couple of friends over and I'm actually going to be brewing a Jubal Ale clone. So oh, we'll see how nice. that turns out. Oh my gosh. So. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to have to make a trip this winter when that thing's ready. Yep. Okay. Have to have some of that and some of the uh, the Belgian that we brewed. Yes, so. for sure. Wow, great! That sounds awesome. I'll be uh, attending a Halloween party at night, but maybe I can go brew some beer during the day if I find a brew buddy. That's exactly my itinerary for that. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> All right, what are you going as? Uh, I don't know yet. Uh, oh, it's it's a masquerade ball, so I'm not really sure. It feels like I need to be more dressed up than a normal Halloween. Wow. But, masquerade ball that sounds yeah. too fancy for me i'm more of a caveman <laughs> pirate type <laughs> maybe i'll be a caveman with a mask <laughs> <laughs> that works that works all right well hey for me i just want to lift my glass up to yo jimbo 2000 and sponge bobbies for their fantastic questions we really enjoyed answering your questions on the show and thank you very much for supporting our our show i also want to thank open forum radio a little Cheers to you for supporting the show and providing the hosting space at openforumradio.com. And hey, I got to do, I got to lift my glass to all the servicemen and women out there. Uh, I want to uh, thank you for your service. All right. So let's just finish this show up with if you would like to contact the show, you can reach us through email at tapthecraft at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at TapTheCraft, and you can leave comments on the show post on OpenForumRadio.com or on Google+. Just search for TapTheCraft. You can follow me personally on Twitter, Instagram, Untapped, by following at LooseScrew, and on Google+, by following Denny Loose, one word. Uh, and uh, John, how can the f- listeners follow you? All right, on Twitter at Prime Brewing, uh, on Untapped at Prime WA. And uh, blog about homebrewing and homebrew engineer, homebrew engineer, Jubilee's getting into <laughs> I know. Uh, dot com. Uh, and there's, there's actually some new material up there. So Ooh. I actually put something up in the last couple of weeks. So All right. if uh, you're interested in homebrewing, uh, go check it out. Excellent. I'm going to be visiting there tomorrow morning. I said, all right, it's last call. And it's time to bring the show to a close. I want to thank all of you for downloading and listening to the show. We hope you were able to find something useful. And we welcome you to subscribe to the show on iTunes or Stitcher Radio. The frequency of the show is an episode every two weeks. And that's it for this episode. And remember, friends don't let friends drink light, fizzy, yellow beer. Quality craft beer can be enjoyed by all. So spread the word and convert the beer ignorant. Hey, it's Shaver from Open Forum Radio here. want to go ahead and take a second to say thank you for checking out this episode of Tap the Craft. And I would like to encourage each of you to check out some of the other shows that we have here on the Open Forum Radio Podcast Network. Uh, we'll start it off with the original Open Forum Radio, The 40Cast, Prove Your Point, Geeks for the Win, I Recommend, My Peanut Gallery, The Married Gamers, Some Other Castle, 
Gamer Husbands Radio, The OMG Hour, Gamers Unscripted, Just Press Start, Platform Junkies, and Jobbers on the Mic. Hey, be cool. Give a great review to all the shows you like on iTunes, Podbay, Stitcher, everywhere you can give reviews. Review every show five times, and you are officially a good listener. Also, go ahead and visit openforumradio.com, links to all the different shows. Uh, like the Open Forum Radio Facebook page, and uh, take a second, if you like playing games online and with people and are cool, to uh, go ahead and look at Zabari's Gamer Information Spreadsheet. Fully useful information that will do nothing but enhance your online gaming experience. All right, folks, take it easy. Have a good day. Yeah, I'm getting tongue-tied after all these years. <laughs> so, yeah, halfway halfway through that last thing, you sounded almost bored because you were trying to figure out what you, <laughs> words uh, you were going to say next. <laughs> yeah, well, I finished that whole 12-ounce beer in like 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, I, I went through mine way faster than I normally do. Uh, so. that's okay that's okay it gives us a little bit more uh you know that we're human that we're not just machines <laughs> i can just gulp beer like crazy but i don't know it's bad to pick a beer that i enjoy so much because i don't know it's not bad i guess i just i just love this beer and this this batch this year is a fantastic batch last year's batch was not so good. I don't know. They just something that had an off flavor to it. But this year's batch is fantastic. I'm just really enjoying the Jubileo. Agreed.